Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You know what I do if I own a hockey team? This is the Press Box. I hire a sumo wrestler. With Grady and Bischoff. I'd give him a uniform, transportation, 500 bucks a week to sit in the goal, eat a ham sandwich, and enjoy the game. My team would never get scored on. On ESPN Las Vegas. We would get scored on constantly. Maybe, but we sell a few tickets. Well, someone's getting scored on. Oh, it's a Thursday. Can't wait to start off with this. Ed, Tyler, and Jerry. Let's just get right to it and overreact. Here we go. The First Bite. Is Mark Andre Fleury going to lose the starting <laughs> uh, job? Overreaction, Flower? Uh, I can't say this is going to happen. I don't want Twitter to explode on our side of things or the fan side of things. Uh, but eh, Tyler giving up some goals now. A couple bad ones last night. Uh, I don't want to overreact here, but uh, here we go. Here's some numbers for you, Ed. Well, it's, it's, it is 701, so. <laughs> <laughs> Since Robin Leonard came back, his first game back on the bench was March 17th. In that time, Flurry started five games. Uh, his save percentage is 8.75, and his goal saved above average is a negative 5.43, meaning Flurry is giving up more than one goal per game than the average goalie would over his last five games. Now, Leonard's only played three games in that time span, but he's at a 9.39 save percentage and a positive 171 goals saved above average. Now, on Flurry, he was always going to regress because after what, 1920 starts this year, he was on pace to have his best ever season. That doesn't really happen when you're in your mid 30s. Uh, and. He was going to regress just because the nature of hockey and how some goals are scored, it was bound to happen that there would be some bad bounces that would go against him and he would see his number slip, even if he wasn't playing much worse than he was earlier. But to me, the big concern is how he gave up goals three and four last night. Because those weren't simply, you know, oh, well, you can blame the skaters for everything that happened or, oh, that's a bad bounce. The goalie can't do much about it. Marc-Andre Fleury gave up a goal on a shot that basically came from the goal line in the corner that Fleury stopped and then completely lost the puck and somebody just came in and poked it home while it was laying between his legs in the crease. And then the fourth goal, he got caught in between coming out to be more aggressive versus staying home in the crease and he got caught out of his crease, whiffed on a poke check and gave up a goal into a wide open net. Like, those are two horrible goals to give up as a goaltender. Those are two goals that you look and say, well, uh, you probably probably shouldn't have given those two up, and you lose the game 4-2 to two when your goalie gave up two pretty horrific goals. You can point to that game and say, Flurry's the reason they lost, or at least the reason they didn't get an overtime point out of that. Now, what Flurry did in the first 20 games still matters, but the last five, and last night particularly, he's playing how you would lose this starting job if you're Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, um... And and that's ironic in that uh, what was uh, when he was going well or so well actually in the beginning of the season we had we had all the quotes hey staying in the crease more not being as aggressive that's what Dave Pryor wanted me to do 
Then weird agent Alan Walsh says, that's not true. He never said that. We have him on tape. He did. Uh, uh, but that's weird agent Alan Walsh. Um, and here's the other thing about the poke check. Like, it, the poke check that he kind of is known for and people go crazy about when it happens, like, it's really cool when it happens. But when it doesn't, this is what happens. So when he takes chances, and he does take probably more chances in those senses than, than a lot of goalies, when it goes wrong, uh, this is what can happen. So as excited as people get for when he poke checks something away and comes out of the crease, well, then, you know what, this is the bad part of that. And you have to say it. Uh, not many do, but you have to say when you do these things and it backfires on you, then that's on you um, and for being too aggressive and, and, and coming out. So, yeah, it was not good last night. Um, they weren't good last night. Uh, we're going to talk about the Stevenson hit and Ryan Reeves with the lower body, you know, before the game he scratched. Um, the best goal the night last night might have been Cody Glass. The problem was he wasn't with the Golden Knights, so that's <laughs> it's a bad thing when Cody Glass is the best Golden Knight and he happens not to be even in a uniform. Yeah, it, I mean, it was just on its own a very weird set of circumstances for the Golden Knights because you lose Ryan Reeves bef like right before the game starts. You lose Chandler Stevenson in game for a, a really bad hit from Chandler Stevenson. And then at one point you're killing off a five on three penalty. So you have one defenseman sitting on the bench by himself. Like it was, it was a strange game and Fleury's performance was equally strange with all of that. Um, I, let me ask you this, as far as the starting job goes, there are, I think there's, there's, 18 games left in the season, so approximately nine starts. That's not starts many, each. actually. That's um, not many. No, so approximately nine starts each for Flurry and Leonard. Do you think it's fair to characterize this? It is a goalie competition, but it's still Flurry's to lose. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think the you know the whole cliche is they're going to ride the hot goalie into the playoffs. So if Flurry kind of continues to digress, and, and like you said, I mean, he was really, really good. It was going to happen. I mean, he was. You know, Vesna guy, and, and he was so good in the beginning, and then Leonard gets hurt, and, he's, and he just keeps playing that well. So this was going to happen to a sense. But if it continues to trend downward like games last night and Leonard continues to play like he kind of has since he's gone back, I do think if it, if it splits even on the nine starts, there will be a decision to be made when they open the playoffs. Now, again, Flurry bounces back. You know, seven of the nine, he's really good. You know, Leonard kind of just stays same thin. I still think, much like we saw when Fleury started back-to-back -back in Colorado, there'll be a sense that, okay, overall, over the course of the season, he was the best guy, and we're going to give him the – it's like Pete DeBoer said, I don't, I don't believe in this stuff, but coaches say it all the time. He deserved to start both in Colorado. You don't deserve to get anything. You kind of earn it. Um, I, I hate the deserve stuff. I, that, that stuff drives me nuts, not just with sports, but other times. Um, so, yeah, in the seven of the nine, if he's still back to what we've seen or even close to it, I would think he starts because of what we saw with the back-to-back -back Colorados. But if he plays like he did last night and Leonard continues to play better and better as he gets back from that injury, I can't believe there won't be a decision to be made. I don't think it would just be automatic. Like, well, Mark was good like three weeks ago or a month ago, and we're just going to stay with him. I mean, I don't know if that would be the best thing for the team Yeah, at I mean, that point. If you get flurry performances like last night, there's I, there's no chance you're starting Mark Andre Flurry in the playoffs because that's that defeats the whole purpose of having the two high paid goalies. If you're going to play one that's playing really poorly, like it'd just be dumb if you did that at that point. So I I think I, I think we're we're going to get a legitimate last 18 games of the season, a, a legitimate goalie competition i think flurry right now is the leader uh but i, I think it's it, it simply might come down to 
hey, they each got nine starts left. Who's better the rest of the way? Yeah. So even even if it's slightly better, who's better the rest of the way? And if they're about the same, then Flurry probably gets the edge because of how good he was earlier. But if if Leonard's even slightly better than Flurry, then I think there's a good chance Leonard takes it away from him because Flurry. I mean, listen, it was a great start, but the last five he's been he's been one of the five worst goalies in hockey by goal saved above average over the last two weeks. Like, and that's that's he's like 51 of 54. Like he hasn't, he's been, it's not like he's been just average. He's been really bad over the last five games. So like there's a level of him regressing to a point where it's okay. He's, he's, he's closer to an average goalie than he is a Vesna finalist. Are we going to get to the point that the Kings are four points out of a playoff spot? All right, go for it. Yeah, I mean, go for it. Go for it. There's nothing, there's nothing to go. No, there's nothing to go for. They're four points back. They're making a run. Uh, got the split in Vegas with the, uh, well, now the second place team in the West. It would have been better if it had been the top three. You know, if you'd have swept the first place team, it would have been better, but uh, they're second place. Well, uh, by so, beating them, you not they well, were first place, and then, <laughs> and then the Kings beat them. So yeah. Colorado really, scored yeah. Colorado scored 19 last night, so uh, yeah, that's uh, they're back. Um, no, I, look, I mean, Reeves gets, it was a weird game last night. You put it best. It was a weird game. Stevenson, horrible hit. We'll talk about that. Um, Reeves, Flurry, you know they score. You know I think the Kings scored in their first shot. They kind of took control right away. Um, they play a goalie who never loses to them. By the way, I, why the Kings don't play him every game? I have no idea. Like I, I, I mean, I know how good Quick can be, but I'm watching that. You know, two nights ago, and like, okay, I'm sorry, I would never ever play anyone uh, besides Peterson against this team. Like, I don't know what his save percentage is. But I think he's made like a thousand saves. So yeah. why he doesn't play every game against them, I don't know. I'm not the coach, but um, yeah, I. It was just a weird game tonight. Will be interesting. You know, the Wild are coming off. I think a couple losses. They lose both in San Jose. I know they lost last night, so they're not like you know setting it on fire right now. They've kind of taken a step back a little. Uh, so tonight and Saturday, I assume Leonard starts tonight, um, and then Flurry on Saturday. So we'll kind of keep a close eye on those guys and see who plays better. Yeah, t- tonight's. Tonight's a pretty big one for the Golden Knights, just based on how last night was, and it's not—it's not quite the same as that series in Colorado where they got embarrassed in the first game, and then they were all business and all. We've got to show we can play with them. It's not quite on that level, but I mean, they didn't play well last night against the Kings. They're not technically in first place anymore in the West, and they're playing the third best team in the West in the Wild tonight. Like this is a pretty big game to a. You know, you got to prove that, hey, you're, we're still at least ahead of the Minnesota Wild. The Avalanche might pass you, but hopefully the Wild don't pass you. And B, just to bounce back from what last night was, even though it was weird, it still it still was a bad performance by the Golden Knights. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I mean, look, they had won six straight at home. They, they're, you know, they're a really good team. They've played really well all season. And so that kind of, you know, when they do have like a clunker like that, exasperating, I'll be interested to talk to Darren Lard at, at Eight thirty, because he tweeted last night, like you know, this was going to happen. Not to, not just to the Golden Knights, but you're going to have these down the stretch of such a condensed season. You're just going to have get games where you're just not any good, and they weren't any good last night. Um, uh, you know, two things. I, I agree. I think a bounce back is important, and it appears Colorado is full bore ahead. So you, you know, that should that alone should uh, you know kind of keep you focused in. Um, you know, on, on, on the, the task at hand, uh, Willie Ramirez, Cal Peterson, 4-1-0 with a 9-4-3 save percentage and 2.122 goals against. So uh, the, the King's entire staff should ever should be fired if Cal Peterson doesn't play every game against the Golden Knights for the rest of his career. 
All right, if Darren Millard comes on here and is like, well, you'll have a clunker every now and then. Yeah, I think that is you say. I think we have to yell at him because well, they we had a clunker. Be- <laughs> they had a clunker on March 21st when they lost to the Kings. They had a yeah. clunker on March 25th when they got embarrassed by the Avalanche, and now they've had a clunker on March 31st. Like yes. that's three clunkers in ten days. Like okay, yeah. you you can have some bad games, but if it's just chalking it up to you have a clunker every now and then, three in ten days is a little bit more than that. That's that's not a clunker. That's a pattern. Yeah, well, here's well, they always win the next game though, Jared. Like yes, it's not win like tonight. that's yeah, a pattern. They, they always win the next one, so it's not. It's actually won two in a row after the last one. So it's not like they play poorly like four in a row. They just play poorly three of the last ten days, and yeah, that's that's more than just a clunker. All right, Perfect. coming prohibitive up, favorite tonight. Prohibitive favorite. Prohibitive favorite. Well, they're yes. always prohibitive favorites. Yeah, right? that's true. Like, unless they're they in they? Colorado, they're <laughs> always like, yeah, they're minus two fifty tonight. Yes, exactly. Coming up next, uh, we'll get into the Raiders because I can't tell. Do people want to play for the Raiders or not? Coming up at 7.30, we're going to talk to David Roth. Opening day for baseball is here. The Dodgers will lose the NL West to the Padres. But Did did you see real quick the Boston Red Sox this morning? Like at 5.30 our time, they tweet out, it's opening day, welcome back, great day. And then like my phone goes off the notification 15 minutes later. The Red Sox game has been canceled due to weather. It will be it will be made up tomorrow. (laughs) And they use the same pitcher. It's like, okay. Uh, No opening day for you, Boston. I don't think they want opening day anyway. They're not trying to win this year. But um, we've had we, we've had some interesting comments this offseason regarding the Raiders and people wanting or not wanting to play for the Raiders. Gabe Jackson, who was traded away to Seattle earlier this offseason, he was on uh, Sirius XM Radio, and he said, "I'm excited about the team, the players, and I know that I know are there: the coaching staff, the fan base, the Twelves. I remember playing against them and how loud it gets there. They win. I want to be a part of an organization that's like that. So, is Gabe Jackson like he was? He was unhappy apparently with this time with the Raiders. Is it simply a matter of winning? And people that play for the Raiders for more than like two or three years just get sick of the fact that they never go to the playoffs." It might be. I mean, there were guys in the free agency. They still don't have a free safety. And, you know, we know we talked to this about this guy before. I mean, John Johnson went to the uh, Cleveland instead. Now, I don't know how much the Raiders would have offered him. A guy like Anthony Harris, he got $5 million from the Eagles. He kind of seemed like an option. Um, we now know, or at least it was reported, that Long didn't get an offer from them. So I don't know if we can include him. But, yeah, I mean, you, you look at guys who you think might be, you know, good ads or, like, you know, they would want to come here and live here with the taxes and everything. And they go to kind of places where you're like, really? Um, so, yeah, I think there's a sense that, look, what is it, Tyler, 17 out of 18 years? I mean, you don't think other teams are – now, I don't know if it's like this in the pros like it is in college where you tell kids stuff, but you know you know, teams are saying, look, why would you go there? I mean, they made one playoff in 18 years. Do you want to win? So there has to be some semblance of that in free agency where other teams say that is not a good place. I imagine that's a – an I mean, agent conversation. I yeah, imagine it's yeah. it's an agent sits down with the player and says, "Okay, like like what are your priorities? Is it your right. priority to simply get the biggest contract you can get? Is it your priority to live in a certain city? Is it your priority mm-hmm. to play to for a team that wins and has yeah. a good chance to make the playoffs? And if you sit down and and you're working out your priority list, if that's anywhere near the top, it's not that the Raiders are a horrible organization in terms of of wins and losses on the field recently, but 
you're not going to the Raiders thinking, yep, we're for sure. I'm playing in a playoff game this year. Like right. that's you right. can't you can't view the Raiders that way. And if you are, you're you're kind of lying to yourself. But on top of that, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, who the Raiders did sign, he was mm-hmm. on SiriusXM, and his quote about playing for the Raiders was this: "You'd have to be a fool." Not to want to play for the Raiders. Just the tradition and the history behind them. The Hall of Famers they have. I aspire to be a Hall of Famer one day when it's all said and done and I hang up my cleats. It's just more motivation when I walk into that building just to see all the others that did it. Now, what fascinates me about Yannick Ngakwe saying that is it's similar to what Kenyon Drake said earlier this offseason when Kenyon Drake said that uh, he was he liked the allure, the mystique of the silver and black. It's almost like the Raiders only or at least best selling point is, hey, this organization used to be really good. We haven't done anything recently, but hey, aren't our color schemes cool? And look at all the Hall of Famers from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I mean, I guess you push what you can. I mean, you can't push any playoffs recently, so you have to go to the past, right? I mean, you can't push the present. I'm surprised, I've got to be honest with you, that that works to any degree because, you know, again, if if Unique Ngakwe is, uh, you know, good enough to be in the Hall of Fame one day, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. It won't be because he played for the Raiders because they had Hall of Famers before him, right? I mean, guys aren't going to go into the room five years after he retires and say, well, he's a Hall of Famer because he played for the Raiders. They're going to say whether or not he was a Hall of Famer because what he did on the field. So that made no... I mean, it's... You know, I'm not... Look, that's his quote and whatever. It doesn't make any sense on any level, but that's his quote, and that's his explanation for, for going to the Raiders. Um... It's really, it's almost surprising in a way that these are reasons they can still convince guys to come. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, because you walk in the halls and you see pictures of Hall of Famers, I mean, I would think some most teams have that at some level. I mean, you know, I, I can't believe most teams don't have, hey, look at Jimmy, he might be our only Hall of Famer, but he made it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and the tradition and the silver, like, I get all that, but man, it's 17 out of 18 years. So, you know, now, again, you're telling me, like you just said, you want to make the most money, you want to come to, a, a, you know, a state with no tax, you're going to make more money, you start putting that in a player's mind, like you said, maybe those are reasons. The Ngakwe reasons, I'm really surprised that would play on a player in 2021, that that's the reason he would come here. That That's kind of shocking to me. All right, here's, here's what we got with Ngakwe. He played for the Jaguars. I don't believe the Jacksonville Jaguars have a single Hall of Famer. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't think so. No, do they, Jared? I I don't, I don't think so. So maybe, maybe I, I I don't think they do. So maybe Yannick Ngakwe was in Jacksonville. They didn't have any Hall of Famers on the walls or anything. He comes here and he's like, oh, wow, a team with history. That sounds nice. So maybe he was in Jacksonville and thought, huh, uh, this team sucks all all time. Maybe because they've only been a franchise for 20 years, but this team sucks. Oh, look at this team. They had Hall of Famers 25 years ago. I want to go play there. Okay, at some point we need to talk about the fact that Tony Baselli isn't, isn't in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah, you're you're right. Jacksonville has no okay. Hall of Famers. They don't have any. All right, perfect. That's that's Maybe that's what it is. He's just saying, hey, the, the other team didn't have it. All right, I, I we need to detour from the Raiders for a second, Ed, because I – I don't. Is this an April Fool's joke? North Carolina I, just tweeted that yeah. Roy Williams is retiring. I don't. I don't think unless he's really, really close to him. I don't think Rothstein would tweet that. I. I that, it's one thing to do April Fools. Then you get to levels of April Fools. Where you're like, I unless his best friend is Roy Williams, and Roy said, "Go ahead and do it." I think this is probably true. 
Ross I mean, this is going to be. He says it. He also says per release, so you just have to go to North Carolina and see if there's. A yeah, release. I'm I'm on their website right now, and it says it says per release, and there's oh, okay. going to be then, there's yeah, going to be a press conference today there. Okay. So, so this is, Roy Williams wow. is retiring. I mean, unless it's like a wow. very elaborate April Fool's joke, and he gets yeah. to this press conference and says, "Nope, sorry, I'm sticking around." Yeah, but, I don't think that's happening. But I, I just wow. told you in the last commercial break that I was worried that I was going to read something on Twitter today yes, and then yes. read it on the air and be like, nope, yeah. that was an April Fool's joke. That wasn't yeah. real. So when I saw the Roy Williams thing, I was like, I don't believe it. I'm not believing it yet. But I, yeah. they say they have a press conference today, so I believe it. I believe it. Um, so that's another one. Uh, boy, Tyler, how about some of the jobs open? That, Texas is open. Uh, Lon Kruger retires at Oklahoma. It's not... Carolina fascinates me more than anyone, obviously, because of their history and, and, and Williams being there so long of who they will go to. A lot of times, like, you know, like UNLV fans here, like keep it in the family, all that. Well, the family in North Carolina has some pretty serious big names. So that'll be interesting to see which way North Carolina goes um, more so than all these other jobs. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a huge that's huge news across college basketball and another big name retiring. Listen, it's I a mean, good thing. Can you, I mean, Roy and Lon, I mean. My God, can you imagine the rounds of golf they're going to be playing in the next 10 years? Those guys are great golfers. The, I, it's a good thing UNLV didn't hire like some big-name coach because they most definitely would have lost them just like they lost Chris Beard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, that, it's, yeah, there's no way that that wouldn't happen. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, the, not, it's not just the jobs that are coming open. It's the timing of it because North Carolina and Texas are open, which means they're going to hire like Texas. If they hire Chris Beard, that means Texas Tech is now open. That means another power yeah. job is open. So the timing of it makes it to where there's going to be other power conference jobs that come open because a North Carolina or a Texas can steal guys away from other power five jobs. And that just sets off the domino effect that led to Chris. That, that's what led to Chris Beard leaving UNLV. It's because Josh Pastner left Memphis for Georgia Tech, and then Memphis hired Tubby Smith from Texas Tech, and then Texas Tech had an opening. It was it was a four-way domino effect there. That's what's going to happen again here where North Carolina or Texas or Oklahoma hires away from some other power conference, and then a power conference is looking around saying, well, who the hell do we hire away from? UNLV is the school they hire away from, so it's a good thing to hire Kevin Kruger. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost – this might be a complete reach. You can tell me if it is. It's interesting that guys like Lon Kruger – you know, and Roy Williams, they both seem in really good health. They both seem still real energized. You know, is this the pandemic? I mean, it was a really hard year to go through that and, and, and to have to, you know, navigate through that with your team and everything. And obviously they're at ages where they're probably thinking about it anyway. I'm just wondering if that had anything to do with it. It was a long year, man, the testing every day and kind of having to get through that with your team and everything. And, you know, it's one thing if you're 40 going through that, but it might be like, you know what, I don't know if this is worth this anymore. I, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I just, I don't, you know, I would think they'd look at themselves both their 60s and say, is this worth it anymore? I, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know. Might have been. I mean, I, I, hell, it's probably fair to do that for most of these guys in a normal college basketball right, season, right. not just when they have to deal with COVID. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. From the defector, it is David Roth. Uh, David, I I'm curious. Have you have you gotten any uh, April Fool's Day jokes to trick you so far yet? Because I was a little worried the whole Roy Williams news was an April Fool's joke like ten minutes ago. I was sure it was, and just because it had that <laughs> feeling of like 
Like, I wasn't exactly sure what the gag was beyond that, like, haha, it's stupid. We would never do that. It didn't really happen. But, uh, yeah, that was once you see enough college basketball writers doing the, by the way, this is not an April Fool's joke post, you have to kind of reconcile it. Uh, yeah, I haven't really been, I guess the one thing that I've really been pranked on uh, this morning is uh, New York City's Vaccine Finder site keeps saying there's appointments available, but there really aren't. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> And I have to admit, I've been owned like a dozen times already today, and I didn't even get up that early. So that's great. People Terrific are streaming hit. down there. People are streaming down there. They get in line, and there's no shots available. Yeah, I mean, I, if it was that, if I was getting pranked to go stand outside a Rite Aid for an hour, that would actually be a pretty good April Fool's Day. Like, I wouldn't like it, but I would respect it. Uh, David Roth with us. Um, so what's your, what's your opening day watching the Mets experience like? Are you excited? Are you horrified? What are you thinking today? I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. I mean, just because I'm an idiot and respond to stimuli <laughs> like a single celled organism. Like if you put baseball in front of me, I'm going to be like, Ooh, even during, you know, the plague year, it was kind of like I was with it. I feel a lot better, uh, with Lindor signed and, yeah. Just to the, the not because I didn't think it was going to happen. I think in my heart I knew that you know once you go to the trouble of trading for a top ten player in baseball, you ordinarily even the Mets would find a way to sign him. It's just that so much of that was playing out, you know, on the back pages of the tabloids and this kind of like small timey back and forth way, and it it just felt a little bit too much like uh, you know the previous administration and general Mets vibes and. You know, now that they've got this guy signed to a contract, they're getting ready to play actual baseball. Like, I'm very excited to watch tonight. I'll probably tap out for like a month, you know, and then like come back when the weather's nice. But yeah, it feels different, man. Like, I'm not just that I think the team's going to be good. It's just like the arrival of a baseball season that could progressively get more normal if everything goes right over the course of it is uh, uh, it's doing me a world of good right now. Yeah, that's the. Uh, I mean, that's the, the normal is the kind of operative word there. Um, do you think that happens? I mean, you know, would you be shocked if it happens? And when you look at this, I mean, everyone's talking about who the favorites are and everything. Are you kind of looking forward to if there's any surprises that nobody's talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is especially you know last year as weird as it was. The one thing that I think you could say for it was that if you shrink a baseball season by like two thirds, you're going to get some really bizarre outcomes, and we did. I think that like. I have no way of guessing what last year actually meant. You know, that, like, I can tell you, like, Fernando Tatis Jr. is, in fact, like, really good. I mean, like, that's not analysis or anything. <laughs> but so much of the other stuff that happened, like, seems so unrepresentative and so kind of, like, you know, like, so the idea of, like, are the White Sox in the middle of a breakout or are they just, like, still the White Sox but their young guys are slightly better than they were, you know, a few years ago when they were doing the same stuff? Like, I like not knowing to a certain extent, uh, but it's weird because like I, I still read a lot about it and everything uh, that involves like data from last year just um, completely washes over me and I, I makes no impression on me at all. If we had sixty game baseball seasons every year, we'd be a lot more like the NFL in this sport, right? Where it would be, well, this team went from last to first because they only had to do it in sixty games. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the part of it that it, the thing, my favorite of the weird uh, outcomes from last year um, was Salvador Perez on the Royals. I wrote about this a little bit last year 
did not get read widely, which is surprising because you'd think a 1,300-word blog on why is Salvador Perez suddenly good would be a blockbuster <laughs> smash on your independent media website. But uh, basically, like he has the same season every year. He's a good player. Uh, he plays probably too much. And over the course of the year, like he'll start off hitting the ball really hard, and then like he starts hitting into more double plays, and he sort of just grinds himself down because he catches like 145 games a year. And last year... He, that just didn't happen because there wasn't enough season. And so this guy who's like really one of the best at hitting into double plays of anyone that anybody has ever seen. Like it's like he's good at other stuff too, but like man, he's so good at hitting into double plays. He didn't do it once last year. And he hit like 375. You know, it was like he basically by the uh like the ex- like expanded sort of like uh enhanced stats I'm running on a while my mind isn't saying the right words at this point. Like, he basically had the best catcher season by rate that anyone's ever had. But, like, he wasn't different. He didn't figure anything out, probably. It was just that, like, he only played in, like, 45 games, and, you know, nobody knows anything over a course of time like that. There's a reset on some rules this year that people are not happy about. Or any on the reset, or any anything stand out to you in terms of how the game is now played to where what you kind of got excited about when you saw the condensed schedule? I mean, I think that the like the new rule stuff that I've seen in most of the cases it fits under that like kind of like MLB tweakage where like I don't really get right. the sense that Rob Manfred likes baseball that much, and so so much of of the fixes that the league office comes out with are just like oh god like ugh, there's too much baseball in this like less baseball, and I sort of get it like some of the stuff like it just seems like the the punishments don't fit the crime the idea that like. If you throw over uh, too many times, like pickoff attempts, you get like a balk or something like that. Like some of the the more like intense and onerous rules, just suggest to me somebody like who hates pickoffs too much. Like I don't like them, but at the same time, I can't. You know, you know, like the idea of like watching someone try to hold someone on first base. Like I've never considered jail time an appropriate uh, response <laughs> to that, and right. it seems like I'm alone in that. <laughs> All right, so here, here's an idea for, for all sports. You should have co-commissioners, two commissioners, one that loves every single thing about the sport and one that hates every single thing about the sport, <laughs> and they make all the decisions. I like that. That's like the uh, like one of them always lies and one of them always tells the truth. Like, yes, exactly. The, yeah. But, yeah, with, I mean, Manfred is, is a weird case, too, because, like, I mean, I don't know, like, what – exactly like the role of the commissioner was like historically it seemed like it was just kind of like the boss of bosses at this point like he just seems like the weird lawyer that all the owners have like on retainer and so like whatever it is that they're upset about they like kind of wheel this guy out and he grimaces and then he's like that's why we're uh, reducing all games to six innings because like everybody's just sick watching the seventh eighth and ninth Ugh. <laughs> you, <laughs> like you, a weird you, life but i guess it's, he always knows what his lines are you uh, you mentioned this team, and uh, how – I mean, Tony LaRusse is 76. How closely you would be watching that guy? I think that's a really volatile uh, situation. Like, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Like, I, I think the White Sox, even without Eloy Jimenez for however much of the season they'll be without him for, have a bunch of the most enjoyable young players in the game. Like, I love watching Luis Robert. Like, I think Lucas Giolito is cool, and I think him figuring things out the way he did is super cool and something that's really unique to baseball. That said, I would I have put, like, a man who's 
the same age as my dad and wears transition lenses in charge of those people? Like, traditionally, no. I would say that somebody like that should just be, like, hanging out in steakhouses getting recognized in Arizona, and that should be what his life is. But, but I don't think that, like, I don't think it's definitely not going to work. Like, I think that Larusa like, really is brilliant, like, as annoying as he can be and as sort of crusty as he can be. And from what I've read, it's like he actually kind of is connecting with the players more than you'd think. That, like, it's, there's always so much that, like, a 76-year-old and Tim Anderson are ever going to have in common. But if they're both pulling in the same direction, like, or for as long as they're pulling in the same direction, I don't see why it wouldn't work. I do think that if it starts not working, it's going to be um, hilarious, though. Uh, David Roth with us from The Defector. You wrote about the NFL's adding a 17th game, and you you brought to my mind something I didn't realize I was going to be annoyed with until I read what you wrote, and that is the way teams' records are going to look at the end of the season. And I'm going to be kind of annoyed when teams go 9-8 and eight or 8-9 eight and nine because that's going to be a disaster. It's, uh, see, I got more mad about that. Like, it started out as something I was like kind of doing as a gag you know, in the work slack. And then as I was writing it, I was like, no, you're actually upset about this. Like you're really, (laughs) that's something for me to, you know, uh, work through in a therapeutic setting, I think, because it it doesn't, it shouldn't matter that much. But I think that there's something about the, the way that I guess just because it's been a 16 game schedule for, you know, longer than I've been alive, like an eight and eight record tells you everything you need to know about a team in the same way that like a seven and nine record is perfect. Like that's, like, you know exactly what kind of experience you're having there. And it's not like, you know, 7 and 10 or, you know, 6 and 11. Like, it sends the same sort of message, but I think that there's something about it that just feels off to me. I'm sure I'll get used to it. But, yeah, like 9 and 8 and 8 and 9, uh, like, I feel like there's going to be, a, you know, a bunch of 9 and 8 teams coming out of the NFC East this year, and, like, we don't deserve that. Like, that's an 8-8 eight eight division, <laughs> and, and it should, like, by rights be allowed to continue to be that, but whatever. I, you know, an NFL owner wants to make money on an extra regular season game, they're going to find a way to do it, even if it means uh, picking a prime number as the number of games you have in a season. Well, I mean, and, and the other thing on the on these rule changes, they sent out an email today was, and I don't know why it has, I, I mean, I would do one preseason game. I wouldn't even do two or three, but again, like you said, it's all about money. And they might eliminate overtime in, in, in preseason games. Why in the world would they have had that to begin with? Yeah, I, I can't I mean, imagine what's the point what of that? you would be thinking if you were like, first of all, if you're at an NFL preseason game, you're probably kind of like, I don't know how this happened. Like, right. maybe you've been kidnapped, <laughs> maybe you got lost. There's no, but you shouldn't be doing it by choice. But the idea of like watching uh, like a sudden death overtime as like the guy <laughs> competing to be <laughs> like the kicker on the practice squad are like going back and forth trading uh, 45 yard misses. That's not a hundred percent what you want. I, I do agree that like the preseason games having as many of them as they have, like always seemed kind of strange. And I guess, you know, whatever there are ticket, you know, revenues there, but I agree. Like just, make it an extra regular season game and then either build another buy into it or like give the players some sort of consideration. I think they'd be willing to take that because I don't think the preseason games really do much for anybody. In the NBA summer league, if a game goes to double overtime, it's sudden death basketball. So what, what is the NFL equivalent of sudden death basketball? Cause they already play sudden death, but you can't score quick enough for that to make it quick. So like, what, what are we like? You kick off and if you return it past the 25, you win. 
Yeah, I, I feel like it has to involve kicking. Um, I would, you know, like maybe uh, non-kickers attempting field goals back and forth, like in kind of a penalty shot type setting. See, I would watch that. If you told me that a preseason game was going to overtime and the wide receiver was about to kick an extra point, I'm I'm watching that. Oh, yeah. Like, I would love to just – I think that one of the greatest sports thrills I can imagine, which sadly I have to just imagine it, is like Russell Okung just lasting a 42-yard field goal. <laughs> Uh, Got to ask you real quick. I know you wrote about Oral, Rob- Oral Roberts, but uh, do you want a team to go undefeated, or you'd like them to lose this weekend? I kind of at this point, like I've enjoyed watching Gonzaga so much that like I would like to see them win. I mean, also I, it would. I think I'd make like thirty dollars in my work bracket, uh, which is <laughs> fine. You know, I'll find a use for it, but it's not like gonna not gonna change my life. The but the way that they play, I think, is is actually really cool and. You know, in my heart, like as a as a dunce, like I don't like things that are perfect. You know, like and so there is a part of me that kind of wouldn't mind seeing them lose. But you know, they seem to me to be playing a just a different game than the other teams that are left. And I, you know, like I admire it and I've enjoyed watching them do it. But it's still, you know, it's college basketball, and this tournament especially has been like extremely college basketball full. And so, like, yeah, if something strange happens, like if they run into you know, whatever, like the second guy off the bench from Houston suddenly goes on, you know, some crazy uh, Cornholio style run, then like, yeah, I'll take it. That's fine by me. If that's what decides this, like it, it would fit. Well, he is David Roth from The Defector. David, uh, enjoy your excitement about Mets opening day. Thanks. Thanks It'll David. last for another few hours. I'm looking forward to that. Thanks very much. <laughs> See you later. Bye. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into opening day and how The Mets screwed the Astros over by signing Francisco Lindor to a big contract. All right, Ed, are you excited about opening day, or are you going to be horrified and not watch the Dodgers? Uh, No, I'll tape it. I'll tape it. Uh, If I'm doing some work during the day, I've got a Zoom meeting, so it'll be be taped and uh, rewatched. The the phone will be refreshed on, on the minute. Uh, to see what's happening. So, uh, yeah. so I mean, excited. Don't like opening. Uh, it, by the way, when you win it, you shouldn't open with seven on the road. They should be at home, prime time, getting their rings. Why, why are these guys on the road seven straight days to open? Come on. What are you worried about <laughs> opening on Come the on. road? Listen to you. Four in Colorado going to ruin the pitching staff right off? It's, it's a conspiracy by Manfred. How do you ruin oh, a pitching staff? God. Four in Colorado to start things. This is your punishment for playing game yes. six with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Good. This God. is all about Justin Turner. That damn You're already, guy. Already complaining. <laughs> Listen to you. Listen to you. Are there? Uh, even, there's not even going to be fans. Why would you want to open at home? You know, prime time, beautiful. You know, the most beautiful park in the league. Uh, getting the rings, they deserve. They, I, I'm going to go no towards something I don't. You're playing yeah, at Kaufman. I don't like. I'm going to go to something that I said earlier in the show I shouldn't go. But darn it, it's the Dodgers. So I'm going to say, you know what? They deserved to open at home, Tyler. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh my God! You're the worst. <laughs> All right. Um, so the Mets and Francisco Lindor finally agreed to a contract extension. He's getting 10 years, $341 million. Lindor had, he said he had a deadline of opening day to sign an extension that he didn't want to do it during the season. Um, He had turned down a 10-year, $325 million offer earlier in the week, so he got $16 million more out of the Mets before agreeing to it. I mean, they traded for him in the offseason. He's never played a game for him, but when you it's kind of like when the Golden Knights trade for Mark Stone or Max Pacioretty, you kind of 
need to sign that guy for the trade to be worth it. Um, I'm I'm curious what this does to the shortstop market in the offseason because there's going to be four of them at this point and 10 for 341 million is a huge number for any of those shortstops to yeah. look at. I mean, I think it drives it up on an individual basis. I don't think any of those guys that we know are going to be free agents would reach this number, but it probably drives it up, you know, some percentage points given what they would have been worth, uh, given what he got. I would think he's the highest after after they all go through it. But yeah, I mean, if you look, if I'm if I'm around there, take a guy, you know, take a guy like Seeger, and he's going to be, you know, he's not going to get that money, but maybe he's like, look, if he got that and he has a great year, I, I'm going to make a little more than probably what I was supposed to. So there'll be a lot of guys in that market who are happy with this deal for Francisco Lindar because it'll probably it will probably help them. Yeah, and like like take Carlos Correa, the other one yeah, that there's I mean, been a contract offer. His was the Astros offered Correa six years, one hundred and twenty million dollars. So Lindor uh-huh. got an average annual value of thirty four point one million dollars. Correa would have gotten twenty if he took right. that. So you're talking about fourteen million less per season, plus four years shorter on the contract than what Lindor got, and Carlos Correa would be the youngest of any of these shortstops to hit free agency if wow. they all end up hitting free agency. So if you're Carlos Correa, I mean, you see 10 for 341. I don't think you're taking anything less than 10 for 300 at this point. No, it's just, it was a smart move by he and his agent. And, and look, everyone kind of had guessed with Lindor the, the uh, range he was going to be in, so it probably was one of the easiest decisions uh, Correa made. I mean, I, I, if you know the other yeah. one's coming down and everyone said, hey, it's going to happen before the year, and everyone kind of predicted that, why in the world would you have taken what they offered at first when you know what Lindor's going to get? I don't think he'll get what Lindor got, but he's going to be a heck of a lot closer than what the Astros have already offered, whether it be with them or someone else. So, yeah, that was. it seems like a very easy move now once you see what Lindor got. All right, so how are you feeling about Fangraph's projections here, Ed? Dodgers projected to win 99.6 games. They have a 20.3% chance to win the World Series. I think that's hard to do on the, on the, on the uh, total. I do. I mean, I come on, I whether it's injuries or whatever, you've got to have, a, not near perfect, but you have to have a really season where you don't hit a lot of, you know, kind of stumbles to get to almost 100 wins. So I will go, I'll go under on that number for you. Wow. I think the, I think the total at like sportsbooks is like 103 yeah. and a half. Yeah. And you're going I'm under go 99. Under. Wow. Gonna go under. Pod- Padres are going to win the division because they're going to win 100 games. No, I'm, I'm going under on them, too. I'm not a believer. You know this. Not a believer. How, okay, how do you feel about the Padres having a 10% chance to win it all? Is that is that nerve-wracking for you? Very much so. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Absolutely. We do not need them to have any 10.5% chance to win anything. <laughs>